just hearing you say that seriously makes my skin crawl. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about publishing, writing, marriage, and parenthood. I'm Barry Liga, sitting across from me, of course, the one, the only, Morgan Baden. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Barry. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. So, I want to start off this episode by doing a little follow-up okay. from our last episode. You're like king of the follow-up. I am king of the follow-up. I I believe a conversation is not <laughs> over until I say it's over. So, <laughs> I just want to follow up on a couple things. First of all, on writing essays. Okay. Which I realized that last week I sort of came across as this cantankerous old fogey who hates personal essays. No, you... And the truth of the matter is I'm a cantankerous old fogey who hates essays. But what I wanted to say is the point that I was trying to make last week, and I I didn't make it terribly well, is uh, there's nothing wrong with writing essays, of course. It just does not seem to me to be uh, a path to a consistent and uh, satisfying writing career. Okay. Uh, You know, you enumerated one way it could happen. You write an essay and it gets published somewhere and an agent goes, oh, look at this. I need to sign this person. I feel like that's something that does not happen often. Absolutely. And I feel like your odds are much better sticking to what you know and what you're good at, writing a novel and, you know, getting that out there. And it just feels like that is more of a career. An essay thing feels like something you do on the side. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Probably just because... I can't imagine how many personal essays you could write that would sustain an income, for example. But, um, but I do want to say, I think there's, there's a balance there. There's room for both. Like there are some writers who want to do both and can do both. Just like there are writers who we know who are excellent novelists and also excellent freelance writers for magazines. Sure. Sure. You know, there's space. But I, I just, I, f- I feel like the one is more is more of a uh, is more of a valid career path, not valid, more of a sustainable career path. Sustainable, than the other. I would say, yeah. And and I guess also there's just a personal bias for me. I feel like when you write a personal essay and do it well, you have told somebody your story. Yeah. When you write a novel and do it well, ideally you have told somebody their story, and it's a story they did not know yet. Mm. And that to me just seems. That's something I'm more interested in. Did you just come up with that? No, I came up with it about 10 minutes before we started. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So there's that. The second thing that I wanted to follow up on from last week was we talked about classes, writing classes. Mm -hmm. And you asked a specific question. What kinds of writing classes can or should writers take? And I realized that uh, when I was re-listening to the episode from last week we never really specifically yeah. honed in on that and answered it yeah, yeah. because as sometimes happens we we sort of got off on tangents that were related obviously but we didn't actually answer that specific question right so and it's a very good question what classes should or could writers take mm-hmm. as they're progressing yeah and i really feel like i mean I, I do feel like what i said last week is that is true which is that the best reason to take a writing class is because it's an excuse for you to write. Okay. But also I feel like any class you take, like the one you enjoy the most, that I feel is the answer. The one that is going to, is going to not bore you. The one that is going to keep you interested. The one that is going to make you pay attention because that's when you're going to learn. It's just like people say, well, what should I read if I want to write? 
anything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, there was a guy who once said, you know, read a book about the life and death of a blade of grass. Right. You know, like whatever it is, just read it and learn something from it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who say, I want to write science fiction, so I'm going to read nothing but science fiction. And well, that's a surefire way to make sure you will never write something new in the science fiction Mm -hmm. field. Uh, you know, if you want to write science fiction, I suggest you read, you know, Victorian, you know, nonfiction about farming because that's yeah. going to probably give you some really mm-hmm. awesome idea that you can twist into a science fiction novel. Yeah. So the same thing goes for writing. I think you you mentioned specifically somebody who's taking a playwriting class and isn't specifically interested in writing a play, mm-hmm. but that's a great idea totally. because you're going to learn so many things from that. You're going to learn about dialogue and you're going to learn how to express characters solely through dialogue because there's no other way to yeah. do it in a in a screen play or in a in a play and yeah i i i think you know again like i said last week i'm not sure writers need to take classes but if you are going to do it do something that's going to hold your interest i find that even with um with both writing and reading obviously with reading i sometimes get into a rut where i find myself reading sort of the same kind of book um for weeks at a time months at a time yeah and then i say to myself oh my god (laughs) go (laughs) Go read something totally different. And I do. And I sort of rediscover it. And um, that bleeds over into the other books I choose. And it's it's always a worthwhile exercise, okay? Uh, And the same thing with writing is that I find that if I'm stuck on something or or I'm bored with something or whatever, I usually switch and try some poetry or, like, go look at old poetry or whatever. So I think that I think that's very true and very wise that... Um, you should be reading and writing about everything, especially in the beginning, to figure out what it is that you're going to do. Great. Okay, now we'll move on to some new things. Okay. So I want to talk about a topic near and dear to your heart and mysterious to mine, and that is the topic of promotion. Specifically, in this case, the topic of self-promotion. So I think we need to, like, give background, too, to some people, which is that probably 90% of the things that you say to me I say, ooh, you should write that and pitch it to Huffo or to right, Gunner right. or to whatever. Sure, and, sure. and it is funny. It's well, where my mind goes immediately right. because of my job. You, yeah. I was going to say, because of your job, because you are you, your official title, I believe, is social media goddess. You are... You guys can't see me rolling my eyes here. You know, you know <laughs> this stuff inside and out. You're a professional at it. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been thinking lately a lot about promotion and self-promotion, and I'm wondering, how do you do this? Without being a dick. I will give you a specific example. This is something that happened a couple of years ago, but it has always stuck in my mind. I was uh, innocently skimming, I believe, Facebook, and a writer that I know had uh, posted something. Basically, had posted a link to a story somewhere online talking about a dearth of children's books on topic X. Okay. Okay? And this person, this writer, posted a link to it. And said, my book, title of book, is exactly about this, but it didn't get mentioned at all. Blah, 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 blah. And what ensued was a string of comments from people saying, yeah, what's wrong with these people? This is ridiculous. Your book should have been on that list and blah, 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 blah. And I just remember looking at it and thinking, wow, that seems unseemly. To, uh, to to do that, but it seems to have worked because a lot of people rallied to this to this writer's cause. And Except- I, well, hang on, hang on. And I have seen, and I I'm not drawing a causal link here, but I have noticed this person has written exactly one book. 
But I have noticed that this person's one book is frequently mentioned in articles and on lists now. Mm. And I don't know, again, I don't know if there's a direct link there, but I've noticed this. And there's a part of me that finds, again, that finds that very unseemly to, to say, gee, how come I'm not in this article? But there's also a part of me that goes, well, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm. And I just wonder about this. Yeah. You know, it, you know, seriously, do you just have to be a dick in order to promote yourself? I mean, there's, you know, an example a while back, I saw a uh, website that was devoted to listing feminist YA novels. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I said, oh, Goth Girl Rising isn't on there. Okay. Now I'm wondering, should I have posted an angry comment somewhere saying, why isn't my book on this list? Well, I think you're assuming that there are two extremes here and that your immediate go-to should be, let me rally up my troops immediately and yell about this injustice. Well, that's not my feeling. I'm just saying, is that what people should be doing? Well, but no. Okay. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Um, I think there's an art to self-promotion. Yeah. I think it's very easy if you are on multiple social media platforms to talk to over-talk about yourself and yeah, your work. That's sure. obviously very easy. Now, some people do that, and it's fine. And it works for them, too. Right. Every case is different. But I, in in your instance of, okay, so there's a list of feminist YA books, and you think Goth Girl Rising should have been on it, you could post that list and say, this is a great list of feminist books. I feel like my book, Goth Girl Rising is equally feminist what do others think or something like that just hearing you say that seriously makes my skin crawl why it it feels so here it is self-congratulatory it It feels so hey look at me look what i made here's what it is social media is a conversation i think the tendency for people who aren't in love with social media is to view it as a megaphone okay and as i think a lot of people view it as this is my platform to announce things about myself that's not what it is what i just suggested you do is start a conversation about that link that had nothing to do with you you can do that that's not a dickish thing to do really feels like walking up to somebody at a party and saying so what do you think of my shoes listen i understand that for a lot of authors It's a very distasteful thing to do because a lot of authors feel that the work should speak for itself, that their job is done, they wrote the book, and that it's other people's job to constantly talk about the book and bring up the book and to promote the book, that it's the promotions department job to promote the book. It's not. It's your job too. And I think it's in everyone's best interest, most particularly the author's, to understand the nuanced art of self-promotion on social media. I mean... It, I, I feel like it is incredibly nuanced, and if you're at a party, yeah, and that and a listicle just came out that said the ten most feminist YA novels of the last ten years. Okay, okay. I'm not saying I'm one of the ten I, most. I'm just saying, <laughs> or the the most feminist novels you didn't realize were feminist, or ah. most feminist novels written by men, it, whatever. Right. If you're at a party. And someone says, hey, did you guys see this article? And everyone in your group starts talking about it. What would you say? (sighs) It would depend on how well I know the people in the group. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, I really wish there were a way to turn the look of abject disgust my wife just gave me into a sound so that you could hear it and experience it the way I did. I, I... I get that. That's you. I totally get it. But it just, it feels like, it feels like in order to promote yourself and, and this isn't even, 
I'm not even talking about this for me. I know a lot of authors struggle with this. Yeah. And I'm just saying in general, you know, you said before that I, I was I was sort of making a false equivalency or false dichotomy rather, yeah. saying that you either do nothing or you get in somebody's face. Uh-huh. And I guess what I'm saying is, what's the alternative to those two things? How do you do joining nothing, but at the same time, not be a jerk? It's joining the conversation. And you know what else it is? It's understanding and agreeing with the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats. There are many, many times where there's some sort of industry article about the industry or education or whatever, um, something that my company is related to or involved with or is working in the same things or is interested in whatever and we're not mentioned. We will tweet those out all the time. And we say, like, this isn't what we're reading, you know? This is a great article. We like this because it reminds us of this. Like, even though we're not mentioned in it, that is, that's a self-promotion thing. But we're doing it in a, in a nuanced way that isn't screaming in your face like, hey, Scholastic does this well, too. Well, I think that, see, that is a concrete, interesting tactic. Um, I My experience with that in the past, and I'm not saying I've done that uh-huh. a lot. My experience with that in the past tends to be that you put that out there and instead of your fan base going to the article people and saying, hey, why didn't you include this person? They just respond to you and say, gee, you should be on this. But that's a good thing. I don't think people should go to the writer of the article and say, you left out this book. I'm talking about, because that doesn't do anything. Again, I think it comes back maybe to this idea that I think, what are your goals of social media and how are you treating it? Because if you're not treating it like a conversation or a place where you genuinely want to be to talk about books or current events, I think that comes through very, very quickly. This actually segues very nicely into the next topic I wanted to talk about. I did that on purpose. I did not. I actually have no idea what the next topic is. I was listening to it. I'm like, wow, this is going to work really, really well. And now I've ruined it by talking about it. But the next thing I wanted to talk about is, is there a path to success today without social media. And I bring this up because Paul, faithful listener Paul, who our our other listeners know quite well, commented on our 25th episode mentioning that he does not, as as he put it, he does not like to live at the speed of light. So he's not very much for social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, commented that he knows it's good for other people, but it's just not for him and and he's just not into it. And it made, made me start to think, is there a way to succeed these days Without social media, can you do it without being on Twitter and having an Instagram and Tumblr? Is it possible? Uh, My answer is A, yes, it's completely possible with the caveat that your publisher is doing some of the heavy lifting in your place. Mm. So we all know Suzanne Collins does not have any social media accounts. Obviously, she's an incredibly successful writer. Who is she? (laughs) Um, But she gets a ton of support from her publisher. Right. So, so you're sa- so what you're saying the answer to the question then is is really sort of a qualified yes because it's not it's not that you can succeed without social media you can succeed without personally being on social media I think that's exactly but it. somebody's doing it for you either somebody's doing it for you and it, not even necessarily someone with a vested financial interest in it right. maybe oh, it's a community it of could be a fan it could be a fan exactly. yeah yeah you sure know, look at all the fan generated and fan created communities out oh, there. Oh sure, on Tumblr. I yeah, mean there's yeah. there's kids on Tumblr who are doing like cool stuff with I Hunt Killers, for yeah, example. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that you personally don't necessarily need to be on social media. But 
your work needs to be online somewhere. There's got to be something. It needs to be being talked about online somewhere. Right. Users can tell when someone is not interested in being a part of the conversation, but is forcing themselves to be. Right. It comes across as really inauthentic, and it just backfires. So. Yeah. I agree. You do you, Paul, basically is what I'm saying. Everybody. Everybody <laughs> do yourselves. Wow, that sounded weird. <laughs> yeah. All right. So sort of keeping with, this is sort of keeping with our theme for tonight about books and promotion and, and why things succeed and don't. I have a question. Why do the same books get recommended over and over and over again? This drives me I, You know, there's something like, I believe, uh, this might not be right, but I believe roughly 50,000 books published a year in the United uh-huh, States. I think that's right. And if you look at a website or a newspaper or whatever, there's like five. And you would think that there it's are the less same than 20. goddamn uh-huh. five books yeah. out there every time I look. Yeah. And it's maddening. I get really, really frustrated even more by the, if you liked this, you should try this. And they're both like really popular right. best-selling books. Movies. Right. And I'm like, right. really? Thank you for that recommendation. I had never heard of Twilight. Thank you. Right. Like, right. It's, it just blows my mind. But yeah, it's, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a case of, um, are the writers who are writing these, these articles about, you know, the 10 books you should know, or the five books you should throw in your summer beach bag. Like, Maybe they're just not super into the industry, and Maybe, I don't you know, know. I mean, I wonder if they're actually reading the books. That's the thing. Or if it's just, okay, what was reviewed in the Times last yep. week? What did the Washington Post talk about? And what's at the top of Amazon's yeah. list? And I'll just pull them. Yeah. And everybody's pulling from this. It, it, it feels like an Ouroboros. It's just this, yeah. this thing is eating itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just one person recommends a, a, a book, and then everybody else just recommends yeah. it. And maybe it's a great book. I, I, I don't... I was worried about putting this topic on the list because I don't want this to come across like I'm saying that books are being undeservedly recommended. No, of course. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, we have this vast panoply of literature out there now, and it renews itself every single year, and it's amazing, and it's the most fecund time for literature in history, you know? And yet, everybody's talking about the same goddamn five books, and it drives me up a wall. I'm saying this as a reader. I legitimately... I'm always looking for book recommendations. And so, especially when summer comes around, so sometime around April, May, and every outlet has like 10 different articles on the the best books of the summer. I read all of them because I, I want to build up a list of books to read. And I, as a reader, get really frustrated because I feel like I see the same 12 books on these 60 different lists that I read. I mean, so maybe I'm not, it's... So it's a, and I am sure they are all great books, and I read them, and they are wonderful books, but give me something else. I just, I have to wonder, is it just there are 12 really good publicists out there? Right, you know? and right. They're just, and they're just making sure that these books get covered everywhere? Yeah. It's just really weird to me. I almost Everywhere wish I go, that, I'm tripping over the same books. I almost wish that all of those kinds of lists and articles were required to be written by librarians. Yeah. Who I think I mean, you know have a much broader view of of releases and of right. um, and are obviously wonderful recommendation engines. Um, so yeah, it, it really drives me crazy. I saw the other day a list of uh, someone was tweeting like, or maybe it was a hashtag. I don't know, but it was something about let's talk about the quiet, the best quiet YA books. And I thought that was really refreshing too. Meaning books you haven't heard of. Yeah, yeah. and and also books that are aren't you know splashy, high right. concept, um, but are really nice, solid books. And and I I love seeing things like that because um, I yeah they get lost. There's so many books out there that get lost. We've talked about this before, but yeah. even I mean I work at a publisher and I will see a, an author tag us 
in a tweet about their book that was released that day. And I've never heard of the book before. And I work there. So what is going on? Yeah. And, you know, every now and then, I'll admit, every now and then I will see an article. Usually it's not an article, though. Usually it's, it's it's a blog. Somebody saying, "Hey, here's some great books that you may not have you heard may of. not have heard of, yeah. or books that deserve wider recognition." Yes. Yeah. And I just think we need more of that. Yeah. And I think you know these 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 news organs and review organs that talk about this stuff really really should try to just stop looking at each other. Yes. I mean, it really feels like they're just all looking at each other and picking up. You know, oh, this guy said this book is great. Well, then we better review it too. Mm-hmm. It's like, well. Maybe, maybe not. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of stuff out there. And I feel like it's just the same damn things just keep showing up. And it's really, it, it's frustrating, but it's also just weird. It's, it's just weird. strange and off-putting. I really think like if aliens descended and looked at our internet, <laughs> they oh, would God. think, they would think humans only publish 20 books. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it seems. That's yeah. how it seems. Yeah. I mean, unless you're willing to seek out websites about specific niches. Yeah. Which how would you do that if you didn't know about it in the first place? So yeah. yeah. All right. So speaking of that, what the hell is up with the New York Times bestseller list? Let's let's talk about this. I want to talk about this. I purely by accident, I, I full disclosure, I do not pay attention to the New York Times bestseller list. I there's no reason to, you know, but a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, somebody tweeted a screenshot of that week's young adult New York times bestseller list. And I clicked on it just for the hell of it. I was like, Oh, what's on the list. And there was something very strange about it that I noticed. And I remembered, and, uh, I thought about it today and today is August 1st. Yeah. And I looked at the current New York times bestseller list for YA that is posted out on August 1st, 2015. Okay. And the results are that of the 10 books on the list, only four of them were published in the last three years. (gasps) The other six are four years or older. One of them goes back to 2006. Wow. That is a nine-year-old book on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, again, again, disclaimer, I am not saying these books are not good. Right. I have read many of these 10 books and some of them are good. <laughs> I will say just to, just to confirm that my cousin who does not read yeah, purposely, she just doesn't like books, has read one of the books that's been on the New York times bestseller list for years and is an yeah. older book. That is the only book she's ever read fully and she loved it. It was assigned school reading uh-huh. and, uh, and so I always, every time I see that title on the list, which it has been for a decade now, um, I, I, I at least think, oh, well, at least it's a good book. It at got least my it's cousin a good book, reading. right, right. Like, it, that's something sure, that will stick sure. with my cousin and stick with sure. me. But, but yeah, but what a weird thing. But it is very strange. It's very, I mean, there's also a problem in that eight of those ten books are written by men. Yeah, that is a problem. Uh, four of them by one man. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, so there's there's an issue there. But... Again, I'm not saying these are not good books. These are many of these books are are quite good. A couple of them I would say are terrific. But you look at this list and it's been this way for a while. It it has been stagnant for a while and you look at it and I have to wonder what the hell is going on yeah. that 
there's been nothing published in the last few years that's worth being on the New York Times bestseller list yeah. I, for so more I, than maybe a week at a time. Now, well, let me say one more thing, and then we can actually talk about this, because there's one more important piece of information that I think you'll find interesting. That's the YA list. I also looked on August 1st, 2015, at the adult fiction bestseller list. Okay. Every one of the top 10 books was published in 2015. Wow. So what does this say about YA? What does it? I don't know. I... What does it mean? Yeah. I would love to have people write in and tell us what they think. Has anyone written about this? Because I I I, think they should. I don't think so. I mean... You should write it and pitch it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I should write a personal essay. I just find it really... Wow. (laughs) That is really kind of... And it's, you know, again, so nothing... Now, again... You know, if you go back and look at the list week to week, something will pop up occasionally. Yeah. You know, for for one for week. One I to mean, three hey, weeks. Yeah. I was one of those guys. I popped up for a week, right? right? But nothing sticks, and it is so weird to me. I mean, I don't believe. I don't believe that nothing in the last three or four years is worth being on the bestseller list for more than a week or two at a time. I think there have been many wonderful books that deserve to be on the list for quite a while, but. If you look at this list, what it seems to be saying is YA's best days are behind it. We wrote our best books from 2006 to 2010. Yeah. And everything since then has been okay. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, I'm looking at this list now and the only book from 2015 that's on it is that number 15. Is that number 15? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I went down the extended list. If you look at the extended list, the, the problem is... Still the it's same. Longer, even. The, it's even it's worse. worse. There's actually a book from 1999 mm-hmm. on the extended list. By the way, excellent book. You love it too. Oh, awesome yeah. book. Oh my god, amazing but, book. But what does but, this mean? Is it does it have something to do with the fact that in high schools, some schools and colleges get assigned books that are naturally older than that, like I they're don't not know. Releases. They I, can't be. I know? don't know because those would probably fall under the auspices of institutional purchases, and I don't know if the New York Times counts oh. institutional purchases. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure of their methodology. There's a link on the website that says, "Here's how we do it." We should you know, ask Ted Cruz about yeah, right. <laughs> about the New York Times. The, methodology. There's a link that explains their methodology, but there are uh, how shall I put it? There are gaps. Yeah. Because. You know, they don't want people to know exactly how they do it for a number of reasons. Some good, some I think not so good. The good reasons are things like if we tell people exactly how we do it, they can game the system. Right. Like Ted Cruz tried to do. Um, But it's just weird. And again, you know, I specifically went to check the adult list because mm-hmm. I thought this is really, I didn't check every single list. There's a middle grade list and there's, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the cookbook list and the, this mm-hmm. and the, that, but I checked YA fiction and adult fiction and for adult fiction, every single yeah. book was from Isn't this it? year. What's funny is what, what always strikes me every time I look at the lists, particularly YA is, um, you know, there was a point where the hunger games had been on the top 10 YA list for, God, like three years, 3.5 years, something like that. Yeah. And I find my, I found myself asking, are there really people out there who are still buying the book? Like, right. Like I, at this point we've sold so many. That's the thing. Like, are there really still readers? That's what always, what well, that, I always come back to, but it, it, there are. That was, that was the question with, with the graphic novel Watchmen. 
which was published in 19... The book, the comics came out in 85. The graphic novel came out like 86, 87. And it has been a great a top seller ever since. And Paul Levitz, the guy who ran DC Comics, you know, until a couple of years ago, said to me one day, who the hell is still buying this book? Yeah. Like, I know exactly how many we've printed. Like, <laughs> I signed the purchase orders. Like, everybody on the planet should have a yeah, copy by yeah, now. Like, yeah. why? Who's buying this? Why is it still on the top of the yeah. list? And, yeah, some of these books, I'm looking at these titles, and I'm like, who is left like, to buy it? That's my not, question. Not Who's only left? who is left, but how can there be so many people left that it's still that on the bestseller list? Yeah, yeah. Like, I can understand. Obviously, there's always going to be somebody out there who hasn't read yeah. a book yet or hasn't bought a book yet, and they could go out and buy it. But how can there be the thousands and thousands and thousands of people left who haven't read, for example, you know, The Fault in Our Stars to keep it on the bestseller list? It What's seems really funny insane. Is, by the way, just looking at the list, I read a ton. Yeah. I work in publishing in yeah. children's publishing specifically um, i've only read two out of the ten. Oh, really yeah. <laughs> i've read i've read i've read five of the ten okay yeah. um i will say i get the list in advance through yeah. work a couple of days before it's made public and my first inclination is to always just delete it unread because i know what's on there well there you go and that's really sad yeah yeah. And maybe this comes back to this idea that the same 20 books are talked about right, all the time. Right. And so people just keep buying them over and over. Yeah. Um, well, those really are also the same book. Those are also the same books if you walk into a bookstore, particularly a chain bookstore, but yep. pretty much, yeah. you know, a, a lot of independent stores as well. Those are all the books that have face out. Yep. They're the books on the front table. They're the books with big recommended windows. things yeah. They're in the windows. Um, you know, th- these are the ones that are always being promoted. And, and I don't think it's an accident yeah. that they end up, you yeah. know, yeah. always being talked about. So how and does someone break that cycle? I don't like, know. Where do we even I don't begin? know. I mean, I wonder in particular with YA, I wonder if it's because the audience renews itself every couple of years. Yeah, of course. You know? And so it's, oh, you know, two years ago, my big brother was reading this book. Now I'll go read this yeah. book. Yeah. And I wonder if that has something to do that with it. That absolutely does. I don't know why I didn't think of that 10 but, minutes ago when we started this conversation. But it still seems really strange yeah. that everybody's reading so many yeah. copies of the same book. Particularly because adults read a lot of YA too. And... I don't know. Adults also read the adult books, and those are turning over. Those at are turning over rate. at an insane rate. But the YA still I mean, isn't. Some of these, you know, some of these YA books have been on the list for more than two years. Okay. The adult books were mostly in the low double or single digits in terms of weeks on the yeah, list. Yeah. Six weeks, ten weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know, uh, Fault in Our Stars has been on for 139 weeks. That's more than two years. Again, not saying it's not a good book. I, that is not what I'm here to say. But it's just weird, it's man. It's just super weird. <laughs> and it also, I mean, it when you start getting hit in the head with the same list week after week yeah. after week, year after year after yeah. year, you stop paying attention. Right. It stops and meaning anything. It's, it does. It just becomes meaningless. Yeah. yeah. Because I know it. I can predict to that list and there's no fun in that. Right. I, I want a sneaker book to come in and throw everyone... By surprise, and like totally change up that list. I just purely to alleviate ennui. I just want to look at the list one week, and every book is new. Well, I mean, <laughs> just no, kick that's everybody dream, off the damn list. Dream. How awesome would but, that uh, be? But in all seriousness, like I would just like to be surprised for yeah. once by yeah. what's on that list. True that. True that. All right. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. I'm expecting hate mail now from some people. I know, people. maybe. No, no, no. But uh, seriously, I, yeah. it, I I do wonder too. Like, 
do readers even look at these lists? All right. You know, like, do you care about bestseller lists? Do they influence your purchasing decisions? And what do you think about the YA one? Does it bother you that it's the same books over and over? Yeah, yeah. Tell us. Tell us. We'd like to know. Okay, so let's do a quick update okay. on what's going on. What's going on, Morgan? Well, today's August 1st, yes. uh, as we record this, and as I was walking Leia through the park, because she wouldn't nap, uh, I thought, wow, I can't believe it's August. The summer is flying. Oh, August is so nice, though, because I look forward to the fall, and oh my god, I told Barry I would give him my book <laughs> on August 1st, and I'm not giving it to him today. So You um, have until midnight. I know, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you, you have two and a half hours as we record this. But, uh, but I'm making a lot of good progress, and I'm good. really excited, and good. I'm continuing to do so. Good. How about you? Uh, I am, uh, I'm still working on two things at once, uh, the, the Billy story and yeah. the, the superhero thing. Uh, and you know, th- this coming week is going to be a lost week. Yeah. You're on uh, tour. Because I will be on tour. For after the red rain. For after the red rain. And, uh, so yeah, it's going to be, I just won't get anything done yeah, this week. Yeah. And that's fine. I know that it's built into my, my psychic schedule. Well, and what's funny is when you're gone, my mom will be here to help with the baby. Yes. Which means I won't get anything done either. Which means you won't get anything done either. That's true. That's true. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's that's all I'm doing uh, is, is working on those things and getting ready to go on tour. So. Great. All right. Recommended reading slash what are you reading now? We need, like, a jingle for that. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead. Do it. I am still reading um, The Luckiest Girl Alive by okay. Jessica Knoll. Uh, this is an example of a book where the first mm, three, to five par- uh, three to five chapters... I was reading, but maybe not super into it. And my twin sister kept seriously pestering me, like, don't you love it? Isn't it the greatest? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, honestly, it's taking me a little bit to get into. Now I am completely hooked. Oh, good. And I'm spending my days, my minutes of every day thinking about the book and like when wow. I can get back to it because it's, it's really riveting. Wow. So, uh, so I'm loving it right now. Good. Yeah. Good. You. And you know, as I say that, as I, as I talk about the luckiest girl alive, I'm hearkening back to our conversation just a few minutes ago about, um, the, the books that no one's talking about versus the books that everyone's talking about all the time. And I, I do realize that a lot of the, my recommended reading or what I'm currently reading are those kinds of big popular books that are topping the list, that are making the media rounds and that are being turned into movies. So I'm really going to challenge myself, I think, over the next few weeks and months to um, to discover some some authors and some books that aren't hitting the that aren't hitting the news as much as things like The Luckiest Girl Alive. Cool. So, you know, That's I want to put my money where my mouth is and actually look for some sort of undiscovered authors. Well, speaking of which, I, I'm i actually looking at two books right now. Okay. I downloaded samples, and uh, I've been looking at them and trying to decide. I'm going to read both of them. I just don't know which one I'll read first. Uh, but one of them I discovered in an article you had tweeted about, about the difference between male-written right. and female-written dystopias. And it was a book called Find Me by Laura Vandenberg. It's her debut novel. And the premise sounded really interesting from the description of it. So I figured, oh, I'll check it out. And now I'm seeing it everywhere. And now I'm sort of annoyed because I'm like, great. Like, this is one of the anointed books that everybody's talking about. And I'm sort of pissed off that I'm reading it. <laughs> uh, but but it's enjoyable. It, it's about a... Uh, takes place, you know, five minutes in the future huh. where there's this disease that is basically destroying people's memories. Okay. And people who don't forget things are immune. And so they're looking for a cure, and it it, uh, it it seems really interesting. And like I said, I'm 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 happy for her that it seems to be talked about everywhere. But 
per, per, per yeah. the previous 35 minutes of this podcast, yeah. I'm also a little annoyed. The other one is called uh, The Library at Mount Char. And it is a uh, sort of a fantasy sci-fi novel by Scott Hawkins. And I don't really know where the hell this thing is going. It's really weird so huh. far. Uh, but uh, these kids who were kidnapped by a man they call Father, and they were taken to this this mysterious house that seems to exist slightly off kilter from our dimension. So it's like it's right on this highway, but you can't see it from uh, the highway. Like it, it I'm exists. already terrified. Yeah. And so he took them in and basically... He's given each of them catalogs, which are areas of expertise where they have to learn everything. So, like, the main character is this girl, Caroline, who knows all languages, for example. And they each have their own specialty. And father has gone missing, and they're trying to figure out what happened. Wow. And it's really creepy and weird. And so, yeah. So there you go. Two books. And next week, I'll probably report back on which one I read first. Great. So there you go. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, we appreciate it. Visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, we will see you again next week. Good night. Bye.